Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Football Frenemies podcast. A Wolverine and his nutty friend discuss college football around the country from the perspective of the greatest rivalry in all of sports. And if you are here, most likely you have heard about us from the Jonesing for Sports podcast. We are an affiliate podcast under the Jonesing for Sports umbrella. And uh, I'm Brandon, as you've probably heard before. And with me today is Cody Tooltime Thomas, my good friend, college roommate, and Buckeye fan. It's it's hard to uh, to even say that out loud, but we still love Cody, and uh, we generally somewhat respect him, even though he has a bad fandom. Cody, do you have anything you want to say about what this podcast is, or or our relationship, or anything in general? Dude, I'm just I'm just so hyped for this. I mean, I was just thinking about this earlier today. Over 10 years ago was when we moved into Beta 303. Was the time that we were actually roommates for the first time. So that's wild that 10 years later that we're doing a podcast because it's funny. 10 when we years. Were in college. When we were in college, if, if, if we had known this was going to happen, we probably would have said it was going to happen before college ended. Let's be real. Like, we would have thought it was going to oh, be yeah. right then. Um, but it's kind of crazy that after all this time could go by and, you know, we're, we're still pretty much doing what we did as roommates. Now we're just literally recording it so that way other people can hear just <laughs> all, whether they're good, they're deep, they're corny, they're cheesy, they're terrible takes, they're nerdy takes, whatever they are. Um, I'm, I'm really excited for it um this this podcast is definitely um thanks to taco bell they are not a sponsor in any regard but <laughs> it is multiple taco bell trips food digested baja blast drink mm. um, that has resulted in this podcast being able to exist so we would like to say thank you to taco bell i would like to remind they are not an official sponsor not a sponsor could be though uh if there was an official meal from taco bell for the football frenemies podcast what what meal would it be i mean for me the main course has got to be the cheesy gordita crunch i mean that is solid choice that is just prime i mean i i feel like that one covers a lot of the different things that you could have in once the tortillas it's got hard shell and soft shell in it it's got the cheese sauce it's got a good meat base it's got all the ingredients you could want with it i mean it is a taco shape from taco bell too as well (laughs) Um, I do think that would be, but you'd have to pick the sides. I'll be honest. I have never been a side guy, especially at Taco Bell. I mean, we know the drink is Baja Blast. So Brandon, what side are we at least going to put with it to make it the official football frenemies Taco Bell meal? Here's, here's the trick at Taco Bell. You don't buy sides. You buy Thank two you entrees. That. Oh my God. Just get, <laughs> just get two cheesy gordita crunches and then get a Baja Blast. <laughs> That is the correct order is you, you go two of something. It could be two of the same. It could be one of one thing, one of another. I'm partial to the chicken quesadilla, although oh, it is dude, you're exorbitantly oh, priced. My gosh. It is way too expensive for how small it is. However, uh, that's enough about Taco Bell because they're not paying us to talk about them. And you know what? Here's the thing about Taco Bell. You said it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, Brandon's digestion is a lot different than – present Brandon's digestion and Taco Bell is not the same. And in the spirit of complaining today, we're going to talk about some of the problems with college football and in an ambitious effort for our very first podcast, we're going to fix college football. We're going to provide you with a new system that will make college football the greatest sport on planet earth. Uh, 
I'm excited. Cody's been working on this project for a while. It's his baby. So we're going to let him kind of take over. But to set the table, we want to talk a little bit about why would we change college football? Because we both love it. And you, you tend not to mess with something, you know, a good thing. But there's some issues. There's some problems. Uh, I'll just start right off the bat. One of the issues with college football, I'm going to point out one team in particular, but it applies almost across the board. Last year's college football champion, Georgia, very deserving. Look at their schedule this year. They might not face a single team that will stay within double digits of them. This is a team that's going to lose multiple players in the NFL draft. They're losing 35-year-old Stetson Bennett. Uh, I mean, they've got to replace their 10-year starter at quarterback, and yet they're not going to be challenged. They are playing a tissue-soft schedule. In the same vein, you know, a lot of really good teams, there's not really one game that you're like, man, I can't wait. At least as, you know, going back to our roots here, Michigan and Ohio State always have each other to look forward to at a minimum. But, man, week to week, a lot of these teams are playing nobodies. And it's you're just kind of there just to watch a blowout, which is not really a great spirit of the sport type event. Uh, we've got unequal schedules where one team might play eight or nine teams that are going to challenge them. One team might play one or two. And that product that a team that's never challenged can go waltz into the playoff. And another team is, you know, got a few losses because they actually played somebody. Uh, the subjectivity that we're going to award one team, maybe in the Southeast portion of the country, more cred because they have good recruits or maybe they have a better history and it's not really settled on the field a lot of the time uh cody was there anything else you wanted to add uh, there's one more that i've got but i don't want to uh, maybe we can sandwich it a bit yeah i mean i mean that's definitely one of the things i had written down for sure for me is there is too much subjectivity in college football both within recency bias and also historical precedence. And so a good example is kind of piggyback, piggybacking off of what you were just saying in, in recency bias. Like you said, Georgia is losing so many players to the NFL again. But the odds are is they're going to come in as the number one ranked team this next season because of what they've just done the past two years. Like, I'm totally okay with everyone being like, hey, coming into the season, like, Georgia is the team to beat because of what, they, what they've done. But that doesn't mean they're all of a sudden the de facto number one most talented team. And so, and every year, those preseason rankings definitely are very biased throughout the season. Because if you start preseason top 10 and you take one loss, yep. you might not even jump at, drop out of the top 10. You might not. But if you're unranked, a team with potential, but you start off with a loss, it then becomes a massive uphill battle just to eventually even get in the top 25. Like, you have to get a big upset just to get into the top 25 recently or win six games in a row, really, for that ma for that matter. So um, all the subjectivity, it's, just, it's way too much. I do think a little bit is good 
because it's part of what makes college football unique. It's part of the sport. It always has been. Um, I think a little bit about it isn't a bad thing, but I think there's too much. And then historical precedence is too. Like the moment that one team historically gets really good, it's like they're automatically back. Like there is nothing more annoying than Texas is back. That is the most <laughs> annoying statement in all of college football. They always say they're back. When was Texas ever anything besides the Vince Young years? Like, good. They they, they were really good for one year, you know, two, three years maybe. But, I mean, all of a sudden, anytime Texas is back, like, Texas lost to Alabama and got ranked. They literally <laughs> lost to Bama. Oh, man, Texas is so close, though. We have to rank them. And so, but, I mean, if if that was Tulane who had done that, we would not be pounding for Tulane to have been ranked after losing to Bama. Even if it was at Tulane, they took them to the wire. We'd be like, oh, that's great. Tulane did that. It was a fun game. But all we would have said was, man, Bama had a terrible game. you know. And so um, how much there is with subjectivity, both with recency bias and then also with historical precedence, I think it really costs a lot of teams their opportunity to compete for the highest prize with the way that college football is structured right now. And part of why the system was developed is hoping that it can get rid of that as, as much as possible while still staying true to the sport that college football is. Yeah, I got to be honest. Uh, preseason polls are one of my least favorite things. So I, I personally love to rank things. Uh, as you listened in our last Jonesing for Sports podcast, we ranked our top six Pokemon. Like, <laughs> It's jonesing for sports, not jonesing for Pokemon. We're still ranking things. At the same time, the preseason polls are not based off of merit. It's just based off of prior results, recruiting classes, and history. And so that does bother me, and it does leak into the rest of the season. So I completely agree. On the other yeah, hand, this year – One thing I want to follow up on just what you were saying too is like when we're ranking your Pokemon, like we're ranking everything that's before – and the rank is based on everything but before. But with college football, they're taking that ranking and trying to predict the future. Right. Like our ranking is not predicting the future about Pokemon like you guys just did. So that's that's one of the huge you – know, preseason polls are the biggest things. Like I love preseason predictions. Preseason predictions are so much fun. But that has absolutely zero impact yeah. on the way someone is seated or won or ranked or anything. It's just a prediction. But, yeah, preseason rankings are, are the devil. And the the fact that they are going to have a, a hand in determining uh, playoff committees, thoughts on a team, and even maybe who's going to get in at the end because it's going to influence strength of schedule, strength of record, all that, uh, it really does bother me. So this new system, it's going to address that. If you're making the playoff, it's going to be off merit for sure. Uh, the, the other thing, the problem that, that I have noticed with college football is ever since the advent of the playoff, it actually has felt like any team that isn't playing for a spot that their season is irrelevant. Even teams that are trying to make a bowl game, it feels like there's not motivation. There's not fan interest. I remember being plugged in with some Michigan state fans when they made the peach bowl, that should have been a massive event for them. Uh, most of them did not care. Now, because they won the game, they're claiming it really hard, especially because, you know, they had a bad season last year. But before that game, I asked a Spartan, what's your feeling on this game? He's like, eh, 
You know, if they win, I'll be happy. But if they lose, I really don't care. Their star running back did not play in that game. The star quarterback for the other team did not play in that game. If you're not playing in the playoff, the games do not matter in the current system, which is horribly sad. As a lover of college football, I think every single game should be celebrated and enjoyed. And I do that. I went to the Quick Lane Bowl last year and loved every second of it. And uh, I think I'm a rare breed because most people do not care about random bowl games. They do not care about if your team is going to be seven and five rather than six and six or six and six rather than five and seven. I think that that one game difference should be huge. I think ending your season in, in the positive should be huge. And it's not at all right now. The system kind of is broken. It's in need of an overhaul and we need these games to mean something. And I think that we're going to get that, uh, before I hand it over to you, Cody, do you have anything else you want to throw out there? No, it's it's a uh, it's a great system. Um, I mean, I mean, one of your podcasts in previous times inspired me. Um, you had you had been clamoring for college <laughs> football to look a certain way, and I've kind of always had that internally. And uh, there was one day I was it was just on my mind a lot, and then on that same day I might have had a couple glasses of whiskey that really. <laughs> <laughs> pushed that uh, that thought process forward even more. And I kind of just sat down and started chugging along and uh, had a lot of work that night, thanks to uh, my beverages. Um, and then the next day, after some sleep, I was able to really clean it all up. So, <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've long dreamt of a system that was going to have multiple um, inter-regional crossover games. It was going to include... Uh, include relegation. It was going to have a huge uptick in the quality of competition game to game where you're no longer going to see Alabama playing against poor sisters of the lakes. And uh, you've done that. You've delivered. While I have dreamt it, I have never took the time to create the system. And once you sent this to me, I, I kid you not, my heart started beating my eyes got wide and i had to keep my mouth you know keep it closed because it just kept going slack it's beautiful i'm still excited right now about it why don't you uh tell us the the details try to open this up tell the people the beautiful system we have for them i will so um to start it off, everyone needs to know the system and program that we are modeling this off of is the English Premier League, uh, where Manchester United, Man City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal, Tottenham, all those teams where they play. Um, some of, if not, you know, the oldest sports leagues in the world that exist that this model has withstood the test of time. It is still extremely exciting and it puts forth the best product every single year. Um, and the whole goal was, is there a way that college football could model that? Because in England, there's over 100 soccer teams. Like, you've got to find a way to structure all these different teams. With college football, there's 131 FBS teams. So that was the goal of this. Could this be structured, modeled after the Premier League, where there's clear structure, there's a clear plan for every single team, there's a lot of reward, and there's a lot of punishment as well. So... Here's what it is. So college football going English Premier League. So the goal 
and purpose and formatting all of college football into an English Premier League style table and format is to create as much objectivity as possible in getting to a playoff and eventual national champion while still holding on to the important aspects that have made college football special. Rivalries, bowl games, speculation, debate, recruiting, and so on. In this new landscape, all 131 FBS teams were split into four different regions, East Coast, Gulf Coast, Midwest, and Mountain West. Each state was assigned a region with the goal of keeping each region as close to the same number of teams as possible while choosing to simply assign states to be as objective about where teams go. Each region consists of three different tiers, a top tier, which is eligible for the college football playoff that consists of 10 teams, a second tier that consists of 10 teams, and the third tier that consists of the rest of the teams. The top tier in each region is eligible, eligible to make the 16-team college football playoff that season. Each team would play a 12-season regular game. You play all nine teams in your tier. You would play one team from the tier below within your region and then a tier one and tier two opponent from another region. The regional matchups would be done on rotation just like in the NFL they do with divisions and specific matchups each year would be in a draw just like the World Cup for all three crossover games. Teams would be awarded three points for every win during the season, zero points for every loss, and one point for every tie. Yes, one point for every tie. <laughs> the team with the most points from each region's tier one is given an automatic berth and a guaranteed top four seed into the college football playoff. The other 12 spots will be determined by the college football selection committee. Each season, there will be relegation among all three tiers within the region. This means programs have the ability to move up each year while teams can be in danger of moving down each year. So two teams will be eligible to move up and down. So every year, it means that the top two teams in Tier 2 and Tier 3 move up one league, and the bottom two teams in Tier 1 and Tier 2 move down one league. The purpose of relegation forces teams to be in the top tier to play at a consistent level, and it matters to keep winning even if you're maybe not having a season worthy of the college football playoff. It highlights both the importance of high school recruiting but also the transfer portal, which there's a lot to get into about that. They're both essential in building a program, but it, but it provides a clear path and opportunity for teams in the bottom tiers to work their way up and get a fair shot at a national championship. Through the system, I believe college football is at its best for both players and coaches who now all have an objective way to a college football national championship while providing an intense regular season that makes it feel super important to all the fans and anyone who supports the teams giving the best possible product involved for all parties. And that is, that is the main <laughs> gist of the college football Premier League. So there is a ton there. We're going to maybe give some examples a little bit, but just a couple questions I have as I just sit back and listen. No conference championship games, right? No conference championship games. The end of the regular season is it. I honestly love that. I think I attended the Big Ten Championship this year. It was a blast. At the same time, Michigan and Purdue did not belong on the same field last year. That is the case in most conference championships. I'm trying to think, was there was there any conference championship where this year there was like equal, two equal teams? 
LSU was not on the same level as Georgia. TCU, Kansas State. Yeah, but, I guess I mean, that's the but one. We know, it, we know it. The real Big Ten championship the last two years was in Ann Arbor and Columbus. Exactly. That's where the Big Ten championship has been. For either Ohio State or Michigan to win that game and instantly clinch their spot as the Big Ten, or I guess in this case it would be, what, Midwest? Um, mm-hmm. Midwest champs and uh, a top-four seed would be, in my personal opinion, even better than having to take another week and to go play a mid to bottom tier team. Uh, so I, I like that. Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, as far as these, these relegations go, how are we going to avoid a team? Let's, let's just say Michigan state, Michigan state. Well, they probably wouldn't have been relegated. Actually, would they have been this year? They, they were so, five and seven. Putting together all the tiers based on this team's results, Michigan State is already in tier two. Okay, so so they would have been relegated this year. Um, how would a team like Michigan State, who had just come off of an excellent season winning the Peach Bowl and then has an offseason, how do they avoid absolutely getting just decimated by their players leaving the, the program? Or is that just you know the hazard of doing business? If you get relegated, you might lose some guys. It's it's part of the reality because there is there is that fear that it's going to go on. So, I mean, one of the big things and probably the trickiest part of all this is you have to find a way to keep the portal, but there's got to be very strict guidelines, windows, rules that come along okay. with it. But, I mean, after that state, I mean, after that Peach Bowl win, let's be honest, a lot of teams that were maybe in relegated programs because another surprising team that's in a Tier 2 is Florida. Florida is currently in a tier two as well. Um, they might have flocked to a Michigan State. Hey, let's go compete in the Big Ten. Where yeah. you know, okay. if we could, if you can upset Michigan or Ohio State with a sixteen team playoff, you're likely in position to get into that yeah. playoff. If you could upset one of those teams, so um, that could be a huge draw. But like I said, it forces teams. You know, Michigan State when they lost early and they lost a few games, like kind of what you said earlier, they lost all the motivation. You know, even after a few yeah. losses, you might think. We're not getting relegated. Guys, we've mm. got to get this fixed and figure this out now. Uh, and so well, I think, yeah, I I think like it, puts, it puts the urgency on, hey, the season's – like the goals maybe aren't there, but like guys, we cannot lose this season. Like because some people lose their season the moment they lose three or four games. And this, that's not the case. Like it puts a lot of urgency and pressure in a good way that fans I think are dying for of like, hey, you could be – in a meaningful game at the end that isn't really competing for the college football playoff. Like it might not feel as rewarding as getting to the playoff, but I mean, like you are still extremely invested in your team surviving to stay in that upper tier. And what, what I like about that is if, if you are a team that has that much talent that a top tier team would want to poach and you're losing that much, that's a reflection of your program and your coaching. So if there's that much talent that's underperforming, Maybe it's good for them to get out from you because you're not doing your job. So that makes sense to me. Uh, You mentioned having strict guidelines on it. Obviously, right now, that's not in place. There's a lot of tampering. So I think that would be a key to have the, you know, a certain window for the portal. And, of course, some some strict rules in place or how that's going to function the same way it works in English soccer. There's there's two transfer windows during the year. We would do the same thing in college football. I think there would be a transfer window the moment that signing day is over. That's the first one. The moment that signing day is over and then 
in February, and then there's another window in June. So even if in spring you're thinking about leaving, you really can't get in there until June, like the beginning of June. So I think late, I think February and, and June would be the two transfer windows that would be there. And I think a part of the strict rule to provide the option would be, hey, when you commit, like when you sign your letter of intent, you are committing two years. If you decide to transfer, you have to sit out a year. If you don't, okay. so you could transfer after year one, but you have to sit out if you don't fulfill your two-year commitment. And then to me, it's the same thing after you transfer. It's the same thing. You're making a two-year commitment, and if you if you don't fulfill the two-year commitment, you have to sit out. And so I think that would encourage a lot of teams to be like, okay, well, if I want to transfer, like me sitting out isn't going isn't going to help anything. It's not going to help my draft stock. It's not going to help any team where I'm there. Because what happens when someone transfers early? Oh, I want to go to this team because my team got relegated. You sat out a year, and then that team you transfer to gets relegated <laughs> as well. So, like I right. said, it, it puts a lot of caution on actually going into the transfer portal. I think just by doing those two things, because okay. like it's like okay, we got relegated, but like, am I going to Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Alabama, where it's a lot more likely we're not going to get relegated? Uh, you know, are you going to school like that or are you transferring to Arkansas or Baylor who, you know, might at their best seasons get to four, five, and six, but could easily be a team that gets knocked down? So I think it puts a lot more caution on the transfer portal while still giving it the same possibility. I will say the transfer portal is probably the least I've put into. And honestly, for good reason, that's, that's a tricky thing, but I, those, that's the kind of the thing that has stuck. Yeah. With me. There's gotta be windows. And I think when you sign your letter of intent, or if you transfer, you're given a two year commitment. If you transfer before that, you have to sit out that year. I like that because I think it, it kind of pushes the transfer window more onto mainly upperclassmen. And, uh, if you're relegated as an upperclassman, it makes sense. As an underclassman, you've got time to build it back up. And I think that would help with uh, sustainability of programs, but also it's going to help them just to make better choices to not have people just jump ship all the time. So that's a good idea. So something to add in, though, because I feel like it's going to come up sometime, like, you know, like relegated stinks. However, with Tier 2, we would basically do an NIT every right. single year. And so it would be an 18 playoff. And so, hey, you could go win, you know, the League 2 championship. Like, hey, we just won this. We're feeling good. And you could easily do it with the top 2 teams from the top the teams that are getting promoted each year are the ones that get to go compete in the NIT. And then with it as well, there would still be bowl games. Like all teams in tier 1, tier 2 and even tier 3, you know, whoever the bowl games invite at right. the end of the day, it's up for the bowl games to invite them. But there would be an eight-team NIT, so that way, hey, just if you're in Tier 2, like you're still going to go compete for a trophy. Is it the national championship? No, but you're still going to compete for a trophy. It's the same thing in the English championship. You're still competing for the trophy as you're trying to get promoted. Your club wins the trophy, right. and you get promoted. So you're, you're competing for a championship on a national stage, which for, for these players is gold because that's yeah. your, your ticket to eyeballs for scouts or for other teams. If you're looking to transfer up, because if you're tier one, you're not taking any transfer anymore. I think it changes. You're more picky in the transfer portal for sure. So I, I think for sure the NIT esque uh, championship would be a, a hit. You already touched on the bowl games. That was going to be my next question. 
I think the last thing I've got is you mentioned something that I think probably raised a few eyebrows in that three points for a win, zero for a loss, and one for a tie. So when you first sent this to me, that was actually what kind of caught my eye the most. The more I've thought about it, the more I've come around on it. But I think the average college football fan might be a little bit worried about losing the prospect of overtime battles. Uh, Some of us remember fondly the seven or eight or nine overtime games we've seen in the past. Uh, help, Help explain that a little bit. Why do you think having ties could be such a great thing for the sport? I think it adds in a lot of strategy, psychology, and a lot of intensities to the game. Because what happens when a team is playing a game, you know, they're, you know, whether they're trying to avoid relegation or they're really trying to push for an opportunity to be in the playoff and you're down seven points, you get 16 seconds left, you get a touchdown and you say, you know what, like we could kick the extra point. We could go get a point, which is a result. It's not a win, but it's still a result, especially if it was a team that, like, is, quote, unquote, above you. Um, If you you can kick the extra point and get a result, or it's do you take a gamble, do you go for two to where, as a coach and players, you either become legends right there and then (laughs) on a regular season game, or, you know, it could potentially be a big mark. Like, I think it adds so much intensities to the game because early on teams might be so much more subject to, okay, it's early on. We were playing a team that has been historically better than us in recent years. A tie is a good point for some teams. A tie is, is a terrible thing where they're like, we might as well have just lost. Let's just go for three <laughs> points. So it'll be so interesting to see when coaches decide, Hey, are we going to go for a tie in this instance? Are we going to go for a win? And then later on, you get to kind of see the ramifications of right. those choices. And so I, I think it adds in such an intensity to the end of it. And here's the thing. I'm a soccer coach. Like ties stink. For the most part, there's like ties don't feel good. Now, as a coach, this past season, I had one game where I was like, you know what? That tie was a good result. So there's, especially if you watch Welcome to Wrexham, you know, Rob McElhenney has a great line. He's like, dude, some, some ties are wins. Some ties are losses. And what happens when, um, you know, you get in eighth place instead of ninth because you got one more point over right. the team below you, or you end up winning the league because, you know, you got one more point thanks to a tie compared to another team that went for the win and they lost. So uh, I, I think there's so much more like structured chaos that comes with the ability of a tie. And like I said, I, I think it, because the other problem for me is college football games are so long. And so, <laughs> like, you know it's not. I mean, in 2016, that Ohio State-Michigan game was almost five hours. Like, five hours. Like, it was, even, even for a low-scoring game, it was ending at, like, 4.45 p.m. Um, and so I, I think that helps the problem that, like, the games aren't going to be, like, entirely too long as well. They're not going to be draining. And... Well, you know, that uh, that game wouldn't have taken so long if they didn't have to wait for the checks to clear uh, in those refs' accounts. But uh, I do think you make a good point. Uh, I think about end of, end of season even, an extra point might hold so much more weight. Or, you know, a 20-yard field goal. Or maybe you're kicking a 55-yard field goal uh, that 
is going to be the difference between maybe a playoff berth, maybe relegation, uh, maybe promotion. And I think that it could, like you said, offer insane intensity or it just like this is our everything on one play to get this one extra point. Or, yeah, or like you said, maybe go for the win. And then what happens too when all of a sudden – there's one season for one of the regions where, like, coming into the last week, there's four teams that could win it. And maybe even two of them are playing each other. And one team gets that score late, less than a minute, and they say, you know what? Like, if we get a tie, we might not get an automatic berth, but we might be pretty much guaranteed to get selected right. in the top 16. So it's, hey, do you risk it? Do you go for glory and win it and, like, win your region, your league, or whichever we want to, you know, name your tier in that region? Or... Do you want to be like, hey, let's just let's get this tie. Let's solidify our likelihood that we're going to be in. Because the one thing that will still go with it is during the same time of year, there will still be college football rankings coming out starting in week, maybe week nine for the last four weeks of the year. So that way teams can get a gauge of what the committee is thinking about them. So every every week, you know, the teams that are in first place in their tier one in their region – will always be ranked one, two, three, and four. But the committee will still decide the order of those four teams. And then after that, the rankings will only go through 16. You would literally see them on a bracket is what you would see. And then there would be a first four out. So 20 teams would techni technically get ranked each week. So that way, like, teams can get it just like, hey, the committee thinks right now we're the sixth best team. We play a team that's ranked above us. A tie is a great result against that team if we're in that situation. So, I, th I think I think where the, the I think the committee adding in that late in the season, what the committee is starting to see and what they're seeing with these rankings and everything, I think that adds in the psychology of you know what, like we're in the first four out. We can't take a tie this week. If we get the chance, right. we need to win the game. Um, so, I, I just it adds in so much more just the possibilities of how the seasons could end. Because like I said, one of the biggest things we get to is we get to rivalry weekend in college football in week 12 or 13, and we're like, oh, is there any other game besides Michigan-Ohio State that has implications on the playoff? At this right, point? yeah. And so all of a sudden that changes. Like the last two weeks, man, it would be chaos the last two, three weeks of the season. Like teams fighting for – to get in that top 16 or to avoid relegation. It like it would feel every single game would feel like such a big deal. Life and death every every week, every game. Uh is there anything else you want to get to before we get into what the actual divisions or uh tiers are going to look like? I think for me that's how I was getting it. One no, I I'll cover like how teams got put in. Like I said, we're about to go over the states in each region and then we'll go over the teams that are in tier one and then maybe some notables in tier two. Maybe that's what we'll do. Um, but the way they were selected and put into each one was as the, as the states got assigned to a region, um, what I did was I just looked at teams' records and I gave them points. Uh, I gave them points, you know, for a win, three for a win, zero for a loss. The way I kind of gave, like I kind of gave one point for teams that, made their conference championship game as kind of like, okay, you did make your college, your conference championship in the current format. So I gave some benefit. Like even if you lost, I gave you some benefit. And then you just, you took them and power five teams got priority. Like for the first way we were doing it. So you just went through the top 10 teams, tier one, 
the next top 10 teams tier two and the rest were tier three. So all power five teams got priority over group of five. Uh, so the five power five schools in their region got that. The other little like kinks and everything that falls with it is first thing, independence, Notre Dame was given power five status because of their scheduling history in the last recent years. Their schedule is more than half Power 5 opponents. And so because they're playing about the same Power 5s as teams and conferences, we gave them that. Um, after that, after the Power 5, the American Athletic Conference was actually then given priority over the rest of the group of five. And BYU was given AAC status because their strength of schedules over the recent years, like last 10 years, matched that of the American Athletic Conference. And so um, that was how they got it. And then the rest of the independents were just, you know, basically put in through group of fives with that. And so uh, with that, we'll go in. So um, as we pull up, Brandon, if you got the document, do you want to read the the East Coast states as first, the states that were put in the East Coast region? Yeah. Do you want me to just go right into the tier tier one after that? Yeah, yeah, go okay. right into tier one. After you read the states, go right to tier one, and then any notice any notables that are in tier two. Okay. Well, East Coast states, you don't have to overthink it too much. We're starting with Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, West Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine. So quite a few states. Uh, but in tier one, we do have the powerhouse Georgia. We also have Clemson. Penn State, North Carolina, Pittsburgh, Duke, South Carolina, Maryland, NC State, Wake Forest. And as Cody said, these teams were placed based on their merits. I mean, look at their past performance. So we do have some heavy hitters in there. I think there's a, a pretty clear cut top three of Georgia, Clemson, Penn State. And then in Tier 2, I'm looking at a couple teams that I would expect to potentially rise up. Uh, Virginia Tech is in there. They're they're kind of a sleeper. If if we'll see if they return to the prominence they used to have when I was a kid. Uh, Coastal Carolina, they're they're kind of on the the rise. There's obviously Syracuse being a New York team is in there. Georgia Tech, West Virginia. Uh, so yeah, it's a solid solid division for sure. But you're going to have a couple heavy hitters that you expect them to slug it out every year between, I think, Georgia, Clemson, and Penn State. It, what's exciting is that we're going to see a Georgia-Clemson matchup every year. We're going to see them play Penn State. And they're not. Georgia's not going to play Georgia Southern. They're going to play South Carolina or North Carolina. I, I, I love that even though Georgia is, in my opinion, the best team in college football, they're going to have to earn it. Not only are they going to have to earn it, they're going to have to play a tier one team from a Gulf Coast or a Midwest or a Mountain West that that we're about to get into. Uh, any notes from uh, Cody on the East Coast? No, I mean that's that's all good stuff right there. So uh, next up we have yeah we have the Gulf Coast. So the East Coast, there's 33 programs total in the East Coast region. Oh, yeah. 33 mm -hmm. schools uh, in the Gulf Coast. It's there is the most schools. There is 34 yet it's the least amount of states. It's only six states. The Gulf Coast is Florida, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas, and Arkansas. But man, is there a ton 
of programs just in that region. It's pretty crazy. So this is how Tier 1 would have shaken out this year. The top would have been TCU, followed by Alabama, LSU, Florida State, Mississippi State, Texas, Texas Tech, Ole Miss, Arkansas, and Baylor. And here is four notable teams in Tier 2. Florida, Auburn, Miami, Florida, Texas A&M. Like, those are four <laughs> teams big schools, yeah. in Tier 2. So, I mean, the Gulf Coast is no joke. No joke. Like, it's it's deep. I mean, I mean, like I said, even at the bottom of Tier 2, you've got Central Florida, Houston, SMU, South Tulane. Like, like it's... It, it's not something to be messed with there. Um, I mean, I, I mean, imagine, man, Alabama playing Florida State, Mississippi State, Texas, TCU every year. Like that's just and like the idea a, of getting that in one year is insane. Like imagine getting that every every single year. year. Like man. And then let's let's say be? that the Gulf Coast had a crossover with the East coast we just covered. So they're going to have a tier one and a tier two crossover game, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we could potentially see, let's just look at what you just listed. Uh, Texas, Texas might end up crossing over with Penn state. Oh my gosh. How, how beautiful would that be? When you see the draw come up and you're like, and I cannot wait for team. that matchup. Their tier team, two team could be Virginia tech. Like, yeah. Look at that. Like it, it is it would be a grind every single week. Uh so. looking at Midwest, which is 32 schools representing the states of Michigan, Ohio, Kentucky, Tennessee, Indiana, Illinois, Missouri, Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, North and South Dakota. And then our tier 1 Ohio State Interesting that Cody put them at the top of his graph oh, there. Hold on, hold on. Read, read under tier one. It's in order. All right, you jet off. It is literally <laughs> right there. All right. That's can't. just the power. The power five are just listed in order. Just actually read under tier one. Don't <laughs> don't start this with me. We have been pretty good week one, but I I am just building up. Can, ready to snap cannot slip like anything by this guy. All right. Tier one, Michigan, Ohio State, Tennessee, Notre Dame, Minnesota, Purdue, Illinois, Louisville, Iowa, Kentucky. Wow. Can you imagine Michigan having to face off again? Uh, first of all, I would love Michigan to play Tennessee every year. For some reason, Tennessee fans are the loudest fans, and I would love to shut them up. Uh, but also Notre Dame in that same tier is beautiful to me. Michigan and Notre Dame, even Ohio State and Notre Dame, they should be playing – Every year, the fact that this upcoming season that Ohio State Notre Dame is like the game basically of the non con that it's gonna what is it opener this year again? It's week four, I believe. Oh, that's weird. Okay, well, everyone is gonna be looking forward to this game, and that's like it. That's like the premier non con game. It would happen every single year as it should. Uh, tier two teams to to make note of Wisconsin, which I have got a feeling they're going to be a riser under uh, Coach Fickle. Michigan State, wow. Uh, Missouri Northwestern. Uh, let's see Cincinnati. Like these are heavy hitters in tier two in the Midwest. That's a loaded tier. Uh, I say that with every single one of them. That's the fun of this. You have massive programs facing off against other massive programs 
every week. It's beautiful. Yeah, dude, it's it's pretty awesome. And I'm gonna ask this last one. Actually, is the most intriguing to me. Uh, the Mountain West. It's also 32 schools. So, I mean, there's pretty good balance. 33, 34, 32, and 32. Uh, the Mountain West consists of the states of California, Oregon, Washington, Hawaii, Idaho, Nevada, Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, Oklahoma, Nebraska, and Kansas. Like, that is just insane. I won't lie. Oklahoma, Nebraska, and Kansas were the toughest three to figure out. At one point, I had them in Midwest and also Gulf Coast at one point. But eventually, um, as it evened out and you just looked at everything, they, they found their way over here. So this would have been tier one in, in this system. So USC would have still been number one because it's poised based on wins. So USC would have been number one, Utah, Washington, Kansas State, Oregon State, Oregon, UCLA, Washington State, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma. Notable teams in tier two, Kansas, Arizona, Nebraska, California, Stanford, Arizona State, Deion Sanders, Colorado, <laughs> the BYU, Boise State, Fresno State. Like that to me, that's the, that's the deepest it's tier deep. two. Yeah. It's the deepest tier two, like not even a question. Like – and it's so funny when I made this, like Colorado didn't even have Deion Sanders yet. Right. And now Deion Sanders is out there. And it's just like, it's nuts, man. Just looking at, well, I mean, just all those teams could be like, like I love the idea of Boise State. Like, go compete with all these teams. Let's yeah. see what Boise State really is. They've had those couple seasons where they got some Fiesta Bowl wins. Let's see if they're a program that can really put themselves out there doing it season in, season out. Yeah, the, the focus... It, it would seem to be on a, on these tier one schools, you know, the USC's, the Oklahoma's. But man, when you go through that tier two, you can imagine the storylines of the season where you do have a Colorado or, or a Boise State where you're watching them intently and seeing them climb up and then promoting and then, okay, how are they going to do against the big dogs? And then they just keep get, getting higher and higher. To see a team maybe even climb from Tier 3 to Tier 1, you had referenced the the Wrexham FC. There is beauty in the climb. And to, to watch some of these underdogs actually become the big dogs would be awesome. And it's something that the current system doesn't allow for. Short of changing your conference and basically changing who you are as a school, you cannot have a real shot at a championship. And this system allows for that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I look at these tier twos and tier threes. It would be it, so interesting. And I'm dude, it, looking at right now at the Mountain West. I've never even been out West before. And I am so invested in what's going to happen for these teams. Dude, here's here's one thing that I think is really intriguing about the Mountain West that I, I want to ask you about this. Do you see one team in tier one that you would be like, that program is immune from having a down year that could get them relegated? <laughs> oh man! Uh, clearly maybe not. Maybe Lincoln. Maybe Lincoln Riley's USC. And I actually also, feel pretty good about Oregon. Oregon and maybe Utah, because Kyle Whittingham has been right. so consistent. But I mean, even Oregon. Like I can't remember. It wasn't like super recent, but I mean, there was a time in the last ten years they didn't have a winning season. I'm, I'm right. Don't hundred percent quote me on that, but I'm fairly confident. Maybe it was like six and six, seven and five, but but still. The fact that they could have a seven and five season when they probably had four cupcake non conferences. Now yep. all of a sudden, you take that team that went seven exactly. and five, put them in that schedule, 
And all of a sudden their crossover game is, oh, by the way, your crossover is Ohio State <laughs> and Wisconsin. Yeah. There's a, so, a lot smaller margin for error, that's for sure. Yeah, there is. There's so and that and the fact that there's such a small margin for error, it's what makes ties so intriguing because you still mm-hmm. get that point. Because all of a sudden you could have three ties on the season instead of three losses. That's three points. And those three three points are a big deal in the twelve game regular season. All right. So before we move on, is there I, I think you might have said it a, a favorite division? I mean, like I, I, I love, I, I love the way the Midwest, you know, shook out. Like I said, I was trying to do my best to not do it, and like I said, it took me a while to put the states of Kentucky and Tennessee in the Midwest because when I thought the Midwest, I kind of was like, okay, I've got to pick specifically. But really, doing those things was was kind of a starting point to just finding balance within everything. Um, like I said, like the golf, like the Gulf Coast is. I think the Gulf Coast is the powerhouse. The Gulf Coast region would still. be an absolute bloodbath. It would be, but like I do, there is some dude. There is still something about that Mountain West. Like I'm really intrigued. And when we get to what a playoff format would look like here in a moment, that's that's part of why this Mountain West just intrigues me so much, so much. Uh, so yeah, I, I think every single one of these these divisions has a good case to be made. Like I think you're you're kind of pushing for that Mountain West. I think a lot of people might go a different direction just based off of a West Coast bias against. But it's hard to when you look at these teams all in a row. Uh, you know, I'm partial to say maybe the East Coast is a little weaker, and yet I do believe they have the strongest team by far. I think that Georgia is the they've I think they've overtaken Bama at this point for the, the, the powerhouse of college football. Uh, so I'm like saying, yeah, East may be a little bit not as deep, and yet they might have a champion for multiple years. I think based off those regions, though, I think it could give strength to a program, like you were saying, Virginia Tech. Like, right. guys, like look, at, like, look at the path you could have in Virginia Tech. Let's get, let's get out of this Tier 2. And in Tier 1, it'd be like, guys, just if you could knock off Georgia, Clemson, or Penn State each year, which is very realistic to do to knock off one of those three teams when you got to go through a gauntlet, like, guys, do that, and we're going to be in the playoffs. So yeah. I think there is a few historic programs in the East. And then there's programs on the rise like Coastal Carolina. It's like, guys, look what we could do if, if, we can, if you can really get a hold of it. So um, the, the East would be really interesting to see outside of Georgia, Clemson, and Penn State. Like, who are going to be other mainstays or the teams that are really going to push? It'd be, it, it would, I think it'd be really intriguing to see, like, who were the new programs really stepping up. All right. Do you want to talk about uh, what the playoff would look like? Yeah. So scroll down to the third one there, Brandon, because that's the one that is based on um, okay. the one that is there. So for everyone listening, I'm going to go ahead and kind of go through the brackets. So this is what a 16-team playoff would have looked like. First of all, we would have – and the way we did the playoff was – the teams at the top of tier one, those four got the top four seeds, automatic buys, and then within the automatic buys and the following 16, we just followed the rankings for the college football playoff the day of the selection show this year. Um, the way it would work is the first two rounds are home field. When you get to the semifinals, it would be the New Year's Six Bowls rotation just like we have now. So the first matchup would be number one, Georgia, versus number 16, LSU. So it would have been a rematch of the SEC championship. Um, they would play the winner of number eight, Clemson, and number nine, Utah. That's who Georgia would be playing. 
scrolling down in the sa- on that same side of the bracket, number five, Ohio State, would have been going against number 12, Washington, who, if you remember, Michael Penix in 2020 yeah. carved up OSU. So you've got an intriguing matchup there. Number five, OSU, and number 12, Washington, would play the winner of number four, USC, versus number 13, Florida State. That's an yeah, all-time that USC, uh, that USC, jersey matchup right there. That USC-Florida State matchup is nice. On the other side of the bracket, it would have been number two, Michigan, hosting number 15, Oregon. They would have played the winner of number seven, Tennessee, and number 10, Kansas State. I think my favorite matchup in the first one, number six, Alabama, against yeah. number 11, Penn State. And they would play the winner of number three, TCU, and number 14, Oregon State. And that would have been the 16-team playoff. There's a lot of matchups that you would be excited about. I think maybe one or two that you might say, eh, you know, not as much. But even Georgia those ones LSU that you is the Georgia LSU is the only one I'm sour on, and TCU Oregon State probably has the least star power. Yes. But even with that, the rise of Oregon State and the rise of TCU, let's see who takes it. Like, that's an intriguing story right there. Like, two programs that just shot up this past year. Now they get matched up in a first round instead of having to play Bama or Georgia or Michigan or someone like right. that. Well, and th- when I look at Georgia LSU, that's a different dynamic because in the SEC championship, LSU was no longer playing for a playoff spot. And in this instance, this is a playoff game. So, it could have been a different result. You know, TCU, Oregon State, the other one that I was – same reason as you. I was like, eh, I don't care about that one as much. Oregon State's team on the rise, like you said. So that could be an awesome game. Uh, I think that Tennessee-Kansas State would have been a really great game. Uh, Ohio State-Washington is an excellent – it's it's almost like these games, they were picked by the system – but to me, it's almost like you picked these games based on how they would match up because these are excellent matchups. Clemson, Utah, that's going to be Dude, a battle in the trenches. Great I would love to watch that game. And of and course, I won't like, lie. So, one of the things I'm curious who is your team outside of like the top eight that you think, like, you think they could get to a semifinal? And my team is, honestly, I'll give a little bit of spoiler for me. It's a little bit of gut punch to my own fandom of the team that, like, as, like, a bottom eight team, like, I would not want to play them. Like, for me, like, that Washington matchup would scare me. Oh, yeah. That Washington matchup would scare me a ton. Even with, like, even just acknowledging the way we played against Georgia, like, OSU needed Georgia to get up to that level. Like, if we had come off the Michigan game and now we were playing Washington, like, we could have easily just been planning for USC already and then get upset. Right. And Penix was, man, like Washington. Yeah. I mean, like they were secretly 11 and 2 this past year. <laughs> secretly. 11 and 2. <laughs> they, like, really, they were. They were secretly 11 and 2. Yeah. Uh, man, well, with like that, like that one. And also, one other thing I want to note is there are six teams from the Mountain West yeah. in this playoff. Six teams. I think it's three teams from the East, three teams from the Midwest. And then four in the Gulf Coast. There's that uh, Mountain West power, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm looking mm-hmm. at Michigan, Oregon, and I'm thinking to myself, "All right, Max Duggan was difficult for Michigan with his mobility, with his arm." There's a, a lot of Max Duggan in. Uh, oh crud! What's his name? Bo Nix. Bo Nix is a mobile quarterback with a live arm. Oregon would be scary, even as a 15 seed. There's not. I'm not going to sit back and say, I know Michigan would win. And uh, 
I thought Michigan was going to beat TCU. Uh, TCU Michigan was one of the better playoff games we've had in a while. And now we've got multiple matchups that have the potential to be on that level or, or exceed it, which would be so exciting. And it only gets better as you advance. Uh, as you look at some of these potential matchups, you know, if, if Georgia moves on past LSU, I think it's probably a safe assumption. They're probably looking at a battle with Clemson who has given SEC programs fits for the it's past funny. few years. I would have picked Utah. <laughs> I would have picked Utah. You don't know. I mean, it's it it could have been Utah. It could I mean, sorry, Mountain West guy. I should have assumed Utah there, but uh, <laughs> Utah would be an excellent matchup because then that's kind of like their maybe their revenge against uh, the SEC or in this case Gulf Coast after they lost to Florida. Uh, they get another shot at Georgia, and then after that, whoever's moving on is probably going to hit someone like Ohio State, or maybe they get upset. Man, I couldn't I, – I don't know if I would sleep during the, the lead-up to these playoffs and then in between because you're imagining all the possibilities. And there would only be a one-week bye. You take one week off after week 12, and then you go again. I love that. Too much sitting around is – I mean, some teams like uh, Alabama or Georgia, I think they know how to weaponize a month layoff. I think the majority of teams do not. And I'd love to see a team be able to bring its in-season momentum into the postseason because it almost feels like two different seasons, and I don't think that's how it should be. So I like that as a system. And this 16-team playoff, it's beautiful. I wish if you were listening to this, you could visually see the bracket I'm looking at because it's it's an all-name team here. I'm looking at USC and Florida State and thinking, I hope my team could handle the color. I keep looking. I keep looking at that matchup too. That that one is just like, oh man! Like I'd be glued to the screen <laughs> on that one. I think I I might take Florida State there. And dude, think about Bama, Penn State. Like the two retro uniforms, like the two most old school uniforms taking the field together in a playoff. Yep. Man. Ooh, that that is a good. I mean, if Alabama goes with their reds and then Penn State goes with their whites, by the end of the oh, night man. they're going to be mixing oh, colors. Man. <laughs> That'd be nuts. Uh, what else? Uh, what else we got? I mean, I mean, for me, like that—that that covers a lot of it. Like, is, unless you've got any other things that you want clarity for, just regarding um, the process, the regions, the tiers, the playoff. I mean, I mean, for me, I mean, everything's seen the document. At least it seems like the most things, at least the important things that need to be known, got covered. Yeah, and uh, maybe uh, if people have questions or or thoughts, uh, we could uh, answer those questions if you're active in the Jonesy for Sports Discord uh, or on Twitter. Uh, The other thing is maybe we could even share this document at some point, uh, let people kind of get on on the bones of it. And uh, if you hate it, let us know. If you love it, especially let us know. But, yeah, I think we can uh, close with this. We are trying to change college football. Maybe on the smaller side, we're open to changing our name. So if you have an idea better than football frenemies, let us know. Uh, it's but, currently patent pending, but we yeah. are willing to see how the patent goes. But for now, uh, thanks for joining us. We we had a blast. We're, we're looking to record hopefully at least once a month. We'll be talking college football, even in the, the depths of winter and as the sun comes out in spring. We, we love it, and we're going to breathe it. And hopefully you guys are there with us. So thanks for tuning in. 
Hope you guys have a great rest of your night. And uh, remember, Ohio sucks. All right, bye.